0: Hello and welcome to another episode about how to garden with nature in mind. This time we're gonna talk about how to plant your garden up to attract the birds and the bees. We're gonna talk about how bees go about their pollinating and how to bring the birds into your garden for them to live and us to enjoy. And it's all here on Gardening for Nature. I've been asked to look at this established garden here. It's been established for about eight years and the owners are very happy with it, but they just want to bring more wildlife into the garden. The garden does look fantastic. It's very colourful. It comes mainly from foliage and there's very little flower here. The centre are some beautiful patches of grasses. These will look fantastic in the winter with all the frost on them and blowing in the breeze as well. They look great. And beyond these are some Eleagnus fortunii species which grow really nicely here and they have plenty of colour because of course they're evergreen and the foliage is colourful. At the bottom end of the garden there's these dark foliage formules which look amazing. They've got all this light coloured gravel around them, it's very architectural. The garden does look great for us, but there's very little here for nature. So my first thoughts are to add some flowers. And there are quite a lot of sections here where flowers can be added. I'm going to put in Nepeta fersenii, which is catnip. This has flowers all the way through the summer, and the pollinators absolutely love it. There are a few areas of dappled shade also at the bottom end, and these are perfect spots for things like helibores, which will flower during the winter months. I can also add a mahonia in there as well which have got beautiful scent and again winter flowers and then during the spring coming out of the dappled shade here I can add begonias I can add pulmonarias all these things have spring flowers and these are so important for pollinators that wake up during the hibernation time they need a nectar source quickly Further along, I can add some herbaceous geraniums and they just flower forever. One of my favourite go-to ones, which is a lovely blue one called Rosanne. That'll keep flowering as long as the frost doesn't hit it. I've had them flowering at home on Christmas Day. A little bit further on, there's some pink flowering anemones, the uh, Japanese anemones. They're a little bit invasive, but if you keep on top of them, they're a lovely light pink flower. and That'll keep flowing from September through to October, maybe even near enough November, it'll be still flowering away. So when you're designing a garden and thinking about pollinators, go to the websites, have a look at what's flowering in each, each month of the year. The RHS has got some great advice on its website, so that's worth a look. But the idea is to have all year round color and that's great for pollinators, but blimey, that's great for us as well, isn't it? Who doesn't want that in their garden? The grasses in that garden really were a great feature. And as I said, they look particularly nice on a frosty winter's day grasses provide shelter and screening, but they're pollinated by the wind, so they're not a food source for our pollinators. Adding a few more flowering plants will attract wildlife in no time. So now we'll have shelter in the grass and food in the flowers, plant diversity. This of course is to attract pollinators, and when we talk about pollinators we always think about bees, but bees are not the only pollinators. Hoverflies, beetles, butterflies and many other insects all spread pollen. And it also needs to be noted that birds, mice and other animals are all important in pollinating. The plants need nature. There really is so much to consider when you're planting out your garden. Yes, flowers have their part to play, but plants with different structures and textures also need to be added. Make your planting as diverse as possible. Flowers for food and structured plants for habitat. Nature needs somewhere to live and eat. This is all important for this episode because it's about birds and the bees. And not so long ago, I paid a visit to a bee garden I had a look round and here's what I saw. Pollinators need flowers for food and it's as simple as that. And we talked earlier about flowers all year round because things are getting warmer. Pollinators are waking up during the winter when they should be hibernating and they need a nectar source. But it's not the only thing about a pollinator-friendly garden. If you've got a small garden and you want to attract pollinators and you want something for all of them, You want lovely nice open flowers flowers in the daisy family or buttercup family and when they're open like that all the pollinators can get to them however flower diversity is better some tubular flowers will be better for the smaller pollinators the smaller bees because when you've got all open flowers you get a pecking order so if you've got flower diversity the smaller bees can get up tubular flowers but the bigger ones can't and it's not just the flowers the bees need somewhere to live so your bug hotels and bee hotels, they need putting in your garden as well. And they're easy to make and free to make. You can make them out of old pieces of wood. I make mine out of old logs. Put them between two and four feet off the ground on a little stick or on a little bit of wall, And I drill holes into them, just the depth of a drill bit. And that is for the solitary bees. They can go in there, make their little cells. And these cells, they'll get nectar and pollen, mix it together and make a cake. Put it in the hole lay their egg in there, seal the cell, the larvae hatches, eats the cake and comes out as an adult. Another thing as well that doesn't get thought about too much is furry leaf plants. Believe it or not, there's a a bee called the wool carder bee and that'll strip the fur off leaves and make its nest with that. So it's all about diversity in the garden, diversity Of flowers, diversity of texture of foliage and putting in those things so the bees can not just eat in your garden but can live. Back in the 1850s the British people started to colonise Australia and New Zealand and they found that the livestock that they introduced couldn't get enough sustenance from the native vegetation. It wasn't rich enough. The solution to this problem was to introduce red clover plants from home which was full of nutrients that their animals needed. However it was found the clover was not being pollinated properly. Bumblebees have a unique way of pollinating. The bee will grab hold of the flower's anthers and then vibrate its body, using the sonic vibrations to shake off the pollen. This means that without the bumblebee, certain plants would not get pollinated. And as in the case of New Zealand, the red clover would need the sonic power of the bumblebee for pollination. So the solution was to sail bumblebees over from this country during their hibernation. In the 1890s, the bees started to make their new homes in New Zealand and the red clover started to establish properly. The bee's descendants can actually be seen flying around now. Every bumblebee that you see in New Zealand originated from this country. In fact, the short-haired bumblebee, which was taken over from Britain to New Zealand, is now extinct in this country. And now they're doing the reverse, bringing the bee back. And hopefully they will be able to re-establish this bee. Now, whatever they say, the bumblebee does fly and it uses an awful lot of energy to do that. In fact, it's around 40 minutes away from starvation if it doesn't get to a nectar source quickly. So you can now see the importance for flowers in the garden, especially during the winter months when they wake up on a warmer day. It is thought that our pollinators have declined by around 80% in the last 40 years. We only need common sense to notice this. Now I can remember driving my car on a summer's day down the motorway and having to use the windscreen wipers to clean off the bugs. Also when I used to stop the car I'd have to jet wash the grill. Now drive your car up the M5, you don't have to do half as much jet washing. We say that we've lost about 80% of our pollinators but if we do the right things and protect them their numbers will come back. Insects breed at a phenomenal rate so what can we do in our garden to help them? Well we can plant pollinator friendly plants and also this includes the wildflower mixes and the pollinator friendly mixed seeds that we can spread in the spring or in the autumn. Allow wild grass areas to grow. These areas are full of indigenous plants for our indigenous insects. Provide a water source. A little bowl on one side or a bird bath full of water just something the bees can go down and have a quick slurp. Avoid using pesticides. And provide them with somewhere to live. They don't just need to eat, they need somewhere to nest and have their young. Do some research and get your bee garden on the way. It won't cost much money. Okay do you want to hear some bee facts? I'll take that as a yes. A bumblebee flaps its wings 200 times per second. A bumblebee has an extremely fast metabolism and they have to eat continuously. Male bumblebees have only one chromosome and no father To produce a male, the queen merely lays an unfertilised egg. To have females, she lays eggs and fertilises them with sperm that she collected last summer. Bees like all insects are covered in oily film. This is a unique signature and bees that can smell the oily footprints of other bees know that that flower has already been pillaged and there'll be no nectar there for it. They also use these smelly footprints for navigation and sniff their way home. Now this episode is titled The Birds and the Bees. We've talked a lot about bees. Let's return to the garden I started in at the very beginning and talk a little bit about birds. I'm back in this established garden. I've talked a lot about pollinators so far. But now I'm going to talk about birds and attracting them into the garden. Now, they're probably one of the easiest things to get into your garden. You need a bird table or a bird feeder and and they they come. Also, you can put plants in your garden as well to help them along. I'm against a north facing wall here, so it's quite a shady wall. And I'm going to plant a pyrocantha, a thorn is a common name for it. That'll grow really well here. It'll have flowers for the pollinators in May time, around May time. And then it will have berries for the birds in the wintertime. So it's an all-rounder. And another good thing about pyrocanther is with the berries, of course, blackbirds particularly love them. But it's also great for them to nest in when it gets established because it's thorny. And it's somewhere they can go into protected from any predators with the thorns. And they can build their nest in there and it'll protect their nest and chicks. So it's a good all-rounder. So once it's established and bushed out, the blackbirds will be eating the berries and nesting. But it's not just pyrocanthus you can put in your garden and it's not just blackbirds that we're worried about. You could put a mountain ash tree, a sorbus or caparia into your garden. It's a small tree, won't take over too much. And again, that has lovely flowers around Maytime and beautiful berries in the autumn into the winter. Thrushes, waxwings, birds like that will all love this sort of plant. And then you've got to think also about birds that eat insects as well. So something like a birch tree. Birch trees are often plagued with caterpillars and blue tits love caterpillars and also the bark of a birch is very papery and it peels and it creates little crevices where insects can dwell and the birds again will go into these crevices and they will pick out the insects and that provides them with protein so I'm really happy with this established garden and the plan going forward and just adding these additional plants creating all year round color and adding these bushes and trees which have berries and habitat for birds I think we're going to increase the wildlife here in no time The birds bring us so much pleasure in the garden and they're such a joy to watch. And we spend so much money encouraging them into it. Now doing some planting like this can help things along. But another thing we can do is to put up a nesting box. The RSPB will tell you about all types of boxes to put up in your garden. But for me, I want some aphid and caterpillar control. So I'm gonna try and attract some blue tits. Right, that's me putting a screw in the side of my shed. For a bird box a nest box for blue tits because I want blue tits in my garden because they eat caterpillars a single blue tit chick can eat up to a hundred a day so just imagine a nest full of five or well, up to ten little baby blue tits all eating caterpillars that's gonna clear my garden from some pests I don't want around it's also gonna be nice for nature I'm gonna enjoy watching the blue tits come in and out now they might not nest this year because I'm a little bit late doing this but I'm going to leave it here for a couple of years and just see if I manage to get anything in there. If I don't after two years I'll probably change its position and position's quite important because the blue tick chicks don't want to get too hot during the summer months. What you need to do is put it in a position where it's not going to get full sun on it all day. Mine's actually facing east on the side of my uh, shed. Get a good view of the blue tits there and they won't get too hot. Now the other thing to do is also make sure that it's waterproof that you can easily clean it at the end of the season. So that means taking out the old nest during the winter months and just wiping it out with soapy water just to clean it inside for next year. And away you go, blue tits will love it. Now, the caterpillars, they feed their chicks just, just out of interest, they collect the caterpillars and feed them whole at the beginning of the season, but as the season goes on, trees start to create something called tannin. As a defensive mechanism, it tastes bitter and a little bit toxic to aphids and whatever would eat them. So, the caterpillars get this in their stomach and it's not good for the little blue-tit chicks. So what the mums and dads do, they actually gut the caterpillars like we would fish, a bit gruesome I know, but they gut the caterpillars and then feed them to the chicks. So clever little birds really yeah nice little things to have in your garden and and as i don't have many crevices uh, in trees or or rotten branches uh, rotten tree branches hanging around here there's nowhere for them to nest so my little nest box will do fine now the position of it is as i said facing east this particular one between two and four meters off the ground that's out of the way of cats and a good height for blue tits to enjoy another little thing that uh, I don't have on my bird box is a little perch some bird boxes have little perches just outside for the birds to rest on and go in take that off because that's something the predators can hang around on and stick their heads into the blue tits nest so you don't want that so take that one off as well but eh, stick it on the wall that took me at least two minutes and I now have a little blue tip nest and they will be getting rid of all the bugs and caterpillars in my garden during the summer months. Great one, go for it. You can even hear Dave the budgie getting in on the scene there. that was my son's budgie chirping away in the background. Now I hope this has all given you ideas on how to attract birds and bees into the garden and please listen to me next time when I'll be talking about how to get plants for free and when you're as tight as me that's got to be good.